<laughs> oh, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, that's true, isn't it? Boy, that's life. You never know what's going to happen. That's one of the things that's so special about kids. Kids are life. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, the songs that we sang, the, the psalm that we read, that, that all of creation is involved in God's worship. All of This thing is bigger than us, isn't it? Easily we come to church and we think about our, our little corner of it or even our own lives, but this thing we call worship and th- this relationship with God, it's bigger than we realize. All of creation is involved. And that God, not only on this terrestrial ball, not only on this global real estate called earth, but even beyond that, God is the God of angel armies. There is a heaven involved in this grand drama of redemption that God is working out, that God is unfolding, and as he unfolds it, he reveals himself, not only to us, to us in our, in our own experience of it, but through us to others he reveals himself. And not only that, but God is revealing himself to all of heaven, even through us. Each part matters. Your part matters. My, my overall premise this morning is that the part, your, you, your part, your life, your walk by faith matters. Your participation in God's salvation matters in ways that you do not realize. It, your, your participation in a walk by faith, your trusting God and following God by faith makes a difference in the lives of others in ways that we don't yet fully realize or comprehend. We don't see how far our faith reaches in terms of those ripples that go out from us and affect others. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that they go not only into the lives of the people sitting near you, but they go into places that you don't realize, places you haven't visited, places you yourself would not reach. And not only that, they stretch even into heaven itself. Your participation in God's salvation makes more of a difference than you yet see. Perhaps we will see. Perhaps it will be realized one day to us. But living out our faith makes a difference to those around you and even to all of heaven. Now, as we've been in, in, in the epistle of 1 Peter... And if you're turning there in your Bibles, if you, um, I want you to have the passage open before you, not just because I want you to, but there are things, there are phrases in the, in the passage, the few verses we're going to look at that I want you to be able to see on the page in front of you. Uh, whether that's a page in front of you, whether it's a, a, a tablet in front of you, whether you're paper or electronic, that's not so much the point. Uh, I'm old and so I'm, I'm partial to paper. I shouldn't say that because now you're, you're, you're going to think, oh, wow, I guess I don't want to be old, so I'm going to have to use electronic. When I'd really, I'd rather you had, you can't take a margin note real quick. Electro- I know you can take notes and all of that, but it's not quite the same. So I, if, if, if you didn't bring a, pay, a Bible with you this morning of one sort or another, certainly grab the Pew Bible. We'll be on page 1014, 1014 in the, in the Pew Bible. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. And just to reveal what got us to verse 10, we have, we have seen that we have been the crucial role of faith in God's working of salvation. God is at work here. 
And yet God is at work also through faith. That we have been born again. God has caused us to be born again, and yet we are born again by believing, by faith in Jesus Christ. We are born again by faith. We are being guarded by faith for a future salvation that God has reserved in heaven for us. That we are kept for that, guarded for that. It's preserved for us. We are guarded for it by faith. So our, our past salvation experience, the fact that we trusted God, we were born again, is by faith, our, our believing in Jesus Christ. The, our future salvation is secure on the same basis, by faith. And even the present outworking of our salvation He says in verse 9 that we are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There is a present obtaining. There is a present outcome of our faith. There is a present salvation being realized. I have been saved from the guilt of sin already because of Jesus' work for me on the cross. Jesus died for me. He bore all of my guilt. I believed him for that, and I am cleansed. I am clean. I have been saved from the guilt of my sin. I will one day be saved from even the presence of sin, from any of its lingering effects, even in this weak mortal body. I'll be transformed. We will see him and we will be like him. And we long for that. And as we get a little older, we long for it all the more. We long for the aches and pains, the corruption and the brokenness that we feel in new ways. We long for that to be past. And it will be. And yet even in the present, I am being saved. I am being saved from the power, from the hold and the influence of sin on me even now. That this eternal life is already presently being lived. I am already experiencing that salvation that transforming, changing, godliness being worked in me, Christ-likeness from glory to glory being worked in us also by faith. That's what God is doing. And yet, how? How is God doing that? Well, the passage is... That's set before us this morning is going to give us two key elements. In fact, as we turn our attention in just a moment to verses 10 and 11, we've got three verses this morning. Two of them, verse 10 and 11, we're going to turn our attention to in just a moment. And we're going to see there that, that there's two key elements, the Word of God and our faith in it. Faith in God's Word is the key element of that working out of our salvation in our present experience. And not only that, from us to others as well. One of the first things we're going to see is that even going back all the way to the prophets, as a source of God's word, that the prophets did not let the word of God just float by. They grabbed hold of it. They pulled it in. They internalized it. They reflected on it. They chewed on it. They inquired of it. They asked it questions. They sought its answers. It did its work Upon them. What we're going to see in this, in this first section is what did the prophets do? How did the prophets respond to that God's word? What does that inform us about how we'll respond to God's word? Look at verse 10 and 11 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person 
or time. You can also read that, what or what kind of time. The Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The suffering of Christ and the glories which would follow after it. So it says that, first of all, the prophets. The prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. We easily, I was just hearing something about this this week, we easily have too small of a Bible. We easily focus on the New Testament. In fact, I got the chance to stand in for, for Dave Brown, his class this morning. We went back to Jeremiah. We went back to Jeremiah chapter 2, a passage that most of us probably haven't studied in a long time. But uh, Jeremiah 2 is rich. And, and our faith is rooted in the Old Testament. In fact, all that we have in the New Testament, the Gospels and the Epistles that, that, that unpack the fullness of our salvation in Christ, all of that was promised before. Maybe not seen as clearly or fully, certainly, but promised before and the foundation laid in the Old Testament. And sometimes our faith is, is, is too small because our Bible's too small because we all, we're spending the majority of our time. Somebody made the comment how odd it was that you can go to a bookstore and you can buy just a New Testament. Or maybe a New Testament and Psalms. That's a little odd, isn't it? Maybe you're going to go to a bookstore and you're going to look for the greatest or the latest John Grisham novel. But you'd only like chapters 1 to 5 and 23. That'll be fine. That's all. No, no, no. Actually, you want the end of the story. You want from chapter 22 forward, but just... Also, maybe chapters 2 and 7. That'd be good. Wouldn't that be a silly way to buy a book? Isn't that a silly way to read our Bible? That, that, that this, this, um, this faith that we have has, has, has Old Testament roots. It's informed by the prophets who prophesied already about the grace that was to be yours. And look how they responded to it. They searched and inquired carefully. They dug in. They searched and inquired carefully. Do you let the word just float by? Easily we do that in, in a devotional time. We get into a habit. We get into a discipline of reading, and discipline is a good thing. A discipline is a good thing right up until it becomes simply a routine. Where you simply, have, do you ever have the experience where you're sitting down, and it's, it's the time that you do this, so you sit down, and you open your Bible, and you begin to read, and halfway down the page you realize, I haven't got a clue what I read because I'm thinking about something else in my mind. Is that just me, or do you do that too? Yeah, yeah. You see, we can easily go through the, the process and yet not have it making its ripples in us. Not inquiring. One of the things that's good about reading your Bible, no matter what form your Bible comes to you in, but reading your Bible with a pencil in hand and a piece of paper, even if after you jot down things, some of us, our minds work that way. Now, maybe... maybe Proposing a method here that'll, that'll work for some of you, but not all of you, but that's good. I've helped some of you. The rest of you, just suffer along. A, a piece of paper, a pencil or pen in hand, and just jotting things down, questions, what is this, or interacting with it, or you know, doing something with that interaction with the text, that inquiring and diligently searching out, inquiring carefully, what is this saying? What's the point? Why this word? Why was that repeated? 
Asking myself questions of the text as I read it. Asking God questions about the text, prayerfully reading. But will we, like the prophets, will we simply skim through, let the word float by, or do we ask it to soak in? Do we ask it to to dig in? Do we dig into it? Do we want, first of all, the gospel, God's word, to make ripples into our lives? How should this change me? What do I do with this? What does it tell me about God? And, and, and what difference does that make? You see, the prophets did that. They inquired, what, what time, what kind of time is the Spirit of Christ in them talking about? In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, Daniel's realizing, hey, it's been almost 70 years that Jeremiah prophesied. First of all, that tells us Daniel read Jeremiah. Well, earlier we saw in the adult Bible study earlier this morning that Jeremiah actually read the book of Amos, that Jeremiah, just out of chapter 2, also read Isaiah. So the prophets are digging into what has already come through other prophets as well. Daniel is reading Jeremiah, and Daniel realizes it's been about the 70 years. So he's inquiring what happens next, and out of that, God sends an angel from heaven. The angel Gabriel comes to unfold and explain it to him, to tell him that, the, and, and this, is, this is probably the most critical and crucial point in all of the book of Daniel. And it comes because Daniel is reading and inquiring and searching diligently. And that's when it says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 21 to 24, there are 70 weeks of years. There are 70 sevens of years. There are 490 years, Daniel, to wrap up all prophecy, all fulfillment, to put an end to iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. And then he begins to unpack that a little bit. They say, well, wait a minute, there's going to be a bit of a pause in the middle. After the 69 of those sevens, the Messiah is going to be cut off. There's going to be a time before the last seven years, and you and I are in the midst of that time now. But but the point is, there's a, a prophetic, historic backbone that was given in the book of Daniel that came because Daniel asked. Daniel chapter 12, not unlike the apostles after Jesus rose from the dead, Daniel asked the Lord, how long will these things be? And he's given an answer. He's told that one of the outcomes is that many will be purified, many will be refined. God will be doing his work in the midst. The prophets inquired into this thing. What is it that the Spirit of Christ in them is indicating? You see, the Spirit is in the Word. The Spirit has been working. These prophets, Peter's going to say, are, have, were carried along by the Spirit. That no prophecy came of any, any man's own private sourcing, but, but rather the Spirit of God spoke through them. What was the Spirit of God? What was the Spirit of Christ indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories? It's interesting, Peter brings that up. There will be trouble, and there will be glory. See, that's a pattern in Peter. There will be trouble and there will be glory. And the, and the prophets are, see, are searching that out because in their present experience, certainly was true in Jeremiah's day, certainly was true in Daniel's day when there he is, a prophet in exile, a prophet in captivity. Wait, wait a minute, he shares something with us. We are elect exiles. We are chosen outcasts, Peter says. We share something with Daniel. That in the midst of present suffering, we, like they, look toward a city that has foundations, 
whose builder and maker is God. We, like they, anticipate through suffering to glory, even as Jesus first suffered, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Why? Because of the joy set before him. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And yet that was not his joy. His joy was in bringing many sons to glory. The redemption that you and I now participate in. It reached beyond him. The prophets have said they realized something. They were looking for a future hope. And also, let me throw, let me throw this out. The prophets are prophesying. The prophets are prophesying by the Holy Spirit. And yet... The prophets are searching into these words, trying to figure them out. Wouldn't it be an intriguing thing if after I had prepared my message, after I had given my message, then I went on to the internet, and like some of you, I tried to figure out what in the world is Bob saying? That's what it seems to say the prophets were doing. Now, is that because the Spirit is just carrying them along in such a way that they have no idea what they're saying? The words are just pouring out and they're trying to understand it as well? No, but that what they realized is that the words that they spoke went farther than they realized. Have you ever had the experience that words that you said to somebody in time of trouble, in time of crisis, in time of need, in a time of encouragement, words that you said that maybe to you seemed only in passing and yet they soaked in. They came back to you later and said, you know what you said made a difference. And if you're like me, a little absent-minded, you said, did I say that? I don't remember even saying that. I'm really glad that it made a difference, but... I don't even know where it came from. That could it be that in the filling of the Spirit that God will use our words in ways that go beyond us, in ways that we don't realize? I want to give myself to God's Word, first of all. I want, like the prophets, to, to, to inquire and to dig in. I want to hear and have it change me because I want to be used by God in the lives of others. I want, like the prophets, to make ripples that go beyond me into the lives of others. I want God's Word to change me. I want God's Word to upset the apple cart a little bit. I want God's Word to make ripples, even waves, because I want it to go beyond me. I want to make ripples in the lives of others. You see, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves and not merely their own time, but they were serving you. They were serving others. They were serving beyond. The goal of their ministry went beyond them, it says in verse 12. It reminds me of Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, we live in a privileged history. We live in this time called the end of the ages. The culmination of the ages that God is now building his church out of all nations, tribes, and tongues, and peoples. Let every kindred, every tribe we sang. We just had a team, part of them. Most of them have returned from India. They left a few stragglers, so we've got to gather those last three in as well. and Then we'll hear from the group as a whole. But, but India matters as well. It matters to people in Brush Prairie. Why? Because it matters to God. It matters to the God of Brush Prairie that, that what the people in Brush Prairie, his people in Brush Prairie do as far away as in, in, in India because all of this matters. And we, we serve for the sake of others. Easily we cast what we do in terms of ourselves. Easily cast what we, what we do in terms of our own 
immediate. Maybe that's our own family. Maybe that's the ones we most care about. And yet our Lord Jesus came to give himself away. Our Lord Jesus came to serve others. The prophets themselves, imagine it. They're serving downrange a thousand or more years. Imagine the reach of those ripples in their service. Did Isaiah really knew that the things he said and wrote would make such a difference to us? So far removed from his reality, and yet they do. Did David know that the psalms that he wrote, the psalms of rejoicing and the psalms of a broken heart in confession and repentance, that they would make such a difference to you and I? Did David know? So long afterwards, those ripples still extend. Could it be that we would have that same privilege to make ripples into the lives of others? It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Verse 12. That word preached to you, that sounds like my job, doesn't it? That's, that, and that's good because that lets you off the hook, right? Wrong. Preached is actually a weak translation. The word is evangelized. So you would say those who evangelized to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That opens it up much broader. That opens it up to anybody who can share, anybody who can tell the good news to somebody else, anybody who can share the gospel, tell what they've believed to others, you can evangelize. And yet you're not on your own in this. Those who evangelized, those who proclaimed good news, who made known good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The Spirit of God is in this. The Holy Spirit speaks through people. Now certainly, because I'm a pastor, we'll start there. I need you to listen up. I need you to listen up because this is bigger than just something Bob's got to say this morning. You know, years ago in a little church, well, it wasn't really a little church, but it wasn't a huge church, but it was a church in Spokane. That's all that matters. A church in Spokane, I came to the realization one evening service, I think it was a midweek service, that, wow, you know what's going on here? This isn't just coming to church, and this isn't just listening to this pastor teach from the Bible. No, this is bigger than that. God is speaking through him, and it's bigger than that. God is speaking through him to me. God has put him there. It could have been somebody else, but God put him there, and God put me there. And I needed to open up my ears and hear not merely what he had to say in his message or in his teaching. I needed to hear what God had to say to me by his word through that man. So we bring that into church. This is bigger than we realize, you see. This is, there's a spiritual thing going on here that, that, that goes beyond all of the mechanics and logistics of gathering together a bunch of people in a room and opening our Bibles and reading and expounding that together. It's bigger than that. God is at work here by the Holy Spirit. They proclaim through the Spirit sent from heaven. Okay. It's bigger than that, though. It's, it's not just about preaching, I said. It's about all those who share the good news, right? Well, if it's about all those who share the good news, then the, the overarching principle here is the Holy Spirit speaks through people. He spoke through prophets. He speaks through preachers. He speaks through all those who share the good news. He speaks through you. 
go back to those words that you said that had an impact that made a difference to somebody in ways that you didn't even realize. It met a need that you didn't even know that need, and yet you were you just were prompted to, to say that, the thing that you said, and it ended up resonating in a way that you did not know. The Holy Spirit speaking through you. You know, if you trace the filling of the Spirit in the book of Acts, I think it's nine different occasions, the people, people were filled with the Spirit. Every time they were filled with the Spirit, you know what happens next? The gospel is proclaimed. The gospel is said. The gospel is shared, and it makes a difference. The work of the Spirit in and through his people is to tell his word to create God's ripples that reach from you into their lives. Let me give you an example. How many of you remember, I think it was a couple of months ago now, that I told you about um, the, the, he, was the, he was a relative, a nephew of one of the members of our congregation, and he had terminal cancer. He was in Alaska. And we, we, we said, let's write him a note, a card of encouragement. And we had some cards on the back table over there. How many of you remember that? And after the service, you came by that table and you wrote cards. You wrote 32 of them. Well, I just heard this week that Zach had terminal cancer. He didn't have much time to live. He's not only still alive, but his doctors consider his recovery to this point miraculous. They have no explanation for it. I do. You and others prayed. Not only that, but Zach sits there. Now, now the cancer was also in his voice box, so he, it's very painful for him still to talk. But he sits in his room, and God has cared for him even in that, but he sits in his room and he has all of those cards you wrote and sent arranged around him, and he picks them up and he reads and he rereads them and he rereads them and he reads them again. You had no idea. I had no idea what effect the words that we wrote and sent, the ripples that they were going to cause all the way to Alaska. You see, by the Spirit of the living God, the things that you do matter. I illustrated that negatively in pulling out one domino out of the stack earlier for the kids. But every domino in the stack made the tower taller, didn't it? Each one's participation makes it stronger. Each one's participation by the Spirit of the living God creates ripples that reach out to others and make a difference in ways that you and I don't realize. Like the prophets, you wrote across distance and time, and Zach was impacted. How about that? You know, salvation comes this way. Salvation always comes by the working of the Holy Spirit and by somebody somehow sharing the gospel with someone else. That's how salvation comes. It may be that somebody wrote something down and sent it. It may be that somebody worked and produced a Bible and it was printed and it was, and it, and it was distributed. It was left in a hotel room and the Spirit prompts somebody to pick up that Bible that was placed there by somebody. And that ripple has now reached their heart. And they hear the word and they're saved. The point is the Holy Spirit and a person, or two, or three, or ten. But salvation always comes by the Holy Spirit showing up and you and I speaking up. You and I, God will use to make ripples that will reach into the lives of others. I want 
the gospel to make ripples in my life. I want, like the prophets, to be changed by the word, to have it dig into me, because I want, out of my life, to make ripples that reach into the lives of others. Now let's go back to that opportunities insert. Talked about that a little early this morning. I, 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 I want you to use this this morning not because I have slots to fill. In fact, we need to reevaluate every ministry or program that we're doing because is this the thing that we should be doing now or still? Maybe it isn't. Maybe God has something else he'd like us to do. Maybe he, he, he would have us take that energy and that effort in a new direction because that's what he intends to do and that's where he's going to bless. And we've always got to be ready for that. We dare not. And one of the ways we, 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 we help to know what are the things that God is doing through this church is what, God, what burdens God puts on your hearts and what you respond to. Because if we think this program is the thing we should do and yet nobody in this body is burdened to do that, well, is that our thing? Is that what, is, has God rather given us something else to do? Or are we just lazy? It's one of the two. It could be a little bit of both at times. But I urge you, take that insert. Seriously, take some time. Even right now, let's just pause and pray. Father, if it's true that you will reach out through your word and through us, Father, you would use our serving in some what seems to be an insignificant way to reach into the lives of another. Father, I want to be yielded to that. Lord, as a a body, we want to be open to how you would choose to use us. We want you to use us. We want you to be glorified in how you might use us to, to change the life of someone else, to show them your glory. Father, if it's something on this list, or if it's another way entirely, But Lord, would you give us the courage to give ourselves to you that you would use us to reach into the lives of others. We ask that, Father, in Jesus' name. Because you know what? Not only, not only will the ripples out of my life reach to people around us, even farther than we realize, people we don't even know, or we don't even know we're watching, but the ripples out of our lives can reach all the way even to heaven. The closing phrase in verse 12, and look at it again. Look, let's look at verse 12. I'll read the whole verse again because I actually didn't direct your attention toward it when I read it before. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You realize that? Things into which angels long to look. The God of angel armies, now that's big, that's huge, because the angels are involved in this drama of redemption. Angels are learning something about us. Angels are learning about something, rather, about God from us and through us. You know, angels do not experience this redemption that we are experiencing Jesus did not die as an angel for angels. Jesus died. Jesus took on himself humanity 
And he died a human death for the sin of humanity. And he rose again, resurrected as the God-man, as fully human, exalted, glorified, and the Son of God. Deity in humanity, merged and mingled together. That's what the Son of God has done. And the angels look in on this and they marvel. They marvel not only at what the glory of heaven did, the humility and the shame that he took on himself, but they marvel as they watch this drama played out in fallen, broken, rebellious humanity. And the angels look at this and they are in awe. Things into which angels long to look. The the word means to stoop and to look carefully into something, to study it, to get close, to put your reading glasses on and really want to see this. Even take the time to follow those footnotes because this this is wonderfully confusing. This is amazing. Astounding, surprising, how can it be? And yet it is. And they see forgiveness played out. They see restoration. They see reconciliation. They see rebels desiring God. They see those who were enemies in love with their Savior. They see selfish humanity giving themselves for the Savior and for others. And they say, wow, look what God has done. You see, it doesn't glorify us. It glorifies God in what he has done in us, that the ripples of your life are the choices that you and I make. It makes a difference to angels. You know, there's a verse in Ephesians chapter 3. I should turn over there at least. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, I think. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. I'm going to call it verse 14. Let's see if I'm right. No, I'm not right. It's not verse 14. It's, 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 I was one off. I think it's verse 13 or verse 10. Let's read from verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Things in which angels long to look, uh, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I've heard it said that the church... And redemption being played out there is God's university for angels. There are things being made known about God to heaven through us. Now, what difference does that make? Think about this for a minute. Your little faithfulness matters. The choice that you make when it doesn't seem to matter, when it seems like somebody else will do it if you don't, when it seems like no one else would even know except maybe the NSA, and angels. They are watching not to keep tabs on you. They are watching not because they're keeping a scorecard and going to report on you later. No, they're watching because they are getting glimpses of the glorious God and his salvation through what he's doing in us. Your faithfulness matters. 
the little choices that we make, the things that we do and the things that we don't do, the things that we willingly turn from, the temptations that we will deny because faithfulness to God matters more, those make a difference in heaven. Those portray this grace that God has worked in our lives through, the, through, through our, this change to the angels in heaven. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you would want to teach angels? What is it that you would want them to see? I made a little list of things I would hope that the angels might see in us and learn from us. I hope that angels would see that God is enough, that God is my fulfillment, that our God does satisfy. I hope that angels would see that there is victory even after the fall that God's grace is sufficient to overcome sin's tug within us, that, that the spirit of the living God enables us, and God, by his grace, enables us to choose, to decide, to live by faith, trusting God in the face of the enemy's temptations and lies, that there is victory. Oh, I know the angels would also see that humans are frail, that humans are fallen, that humans are weak, and that humans so often give in to the lies and the temptations of the enemy that even they are able to see through. And yet I also want them to see the victory side. I would like to teach the angels that God's grace is enough, that God's grace enables and strengthens us for God's glory. I would like to see, I would like the angels to learn out of my life and yours that forgiveness lived in and lived out toward others. I would like something that the angels themselves do not experience, the forgiveness for their sin and guilt. I would like that to them to learn about God's forgiveness through watching us, both in our receiving it, embracing it, trusting it, and in our extending them that same forgiveness, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. I would want the angels to learn that from us. I would want angels to learn Faith that seeks and knows God. I would like the angels to see in me that I believe God. I believe God about the future. I believe what God has said about himself so that I seek him, that I want to know him more. That I would be willing to give myself away. I would be willing even to endure suffering because through that suffering, I might know something more about Jesus. I would want the angels to see that's what faith looks like. It seeks after God because it trusts God and it desires to know him more fully and that they through us then would know him more fully. I don't know what the next step for you is. I don't know what the next step for you in terms of the ripples that you will make. It might be in hearing God's word for salvation. It might be this Jesus who also died for me. I need to trust in him that those ripples of faith will reach all the way into heaven in the rejoicing of one who comes to faith in, in Christ. Jesus himself said it, that heaven rejoices over one person who comes to faith in Christ. All of heaven sings. Imagine it. Maybe it's someone near to you who needs encouragement, who needs hope, or who needs to know that Jesus loved them and died for them too. Maybe that, 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 that huge ripple, now, 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 is, now is the time that it spreads from you to somebody close to you. Maybe 
maybe it's living out your trust and your confidence in God in some corner of life that you've held in and you've kept to yourself. You said, I want to serve God in many places, but this one I'm reserving for me. This one I'm holding back. This one I'm going to guard and enjoy for myself. And maybe it's the time to trust God that I can find all of my fulfillment in Him. I can let go of that thing where I self-medicate myself, where I try to recharge my own batteries by myself, or where I, I hold on to my own little corner of security in some way. And I'm willing to trust God with that. And the angels say, wow, God is that trustworthy. That's what you and I can show all of heaven as well as those closer. Let's pray. Father, we are in a book that teaches us about suffering. It tells us that suffering comes before glory. And yet we've been reminded of the difference that our enduring and trusting you makes. Lord, I, 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 I again don't know the suffering, the difficulties that are in the room today. I don't know the hesitancies that are there. I don't know the obstacles that are in the way of trusting you in that next step. But Father, we have seen that the choices that we make, our willingness to trust you, our seemingly little faithfulnesses, Lord, we've seen that these will matter. Father, we want them to matter because there's people dear to us that we want you to work in their lives. And we pray, Father, that you'd give us just a bit of that privilege of being used there for them. Not for our own sakes, but because we care about them. Father, because we care about you, because we love you, because we want to glorify you, we want even the angels in heaven to see something in our lives that shows your glory. Lord, would you take us and use us today Would you use us here? Would you use us near? But Father, also, would you use us to show your glory even into heaven itself? And Father, we will thank you for that. In Jesus' name.